Somebody daughter crying just a joy when I put her to that camera. I'm screaming, no boy, when she hit me up. Go rolly, don't make noise when you see me in the cut. Don't be acting all coy, you can't sit with us. Sipping something, something in the back. Where the f is my weed at? Where's my weed at? I got somebody daughter crying just a joy when I put her to that camera. I'm screaming, no boy, when she hit me up. Go rolly, don't make noise when you see me in the cut. Don't be acting all coy. Something, something in the back Couple, couple last summer I can never call back They ain't picking up Kush got me feeling like Woo, you can look but, but, but don't touch me Cause he not cool Oh, you know I'm about to dust Back on up All these hunters keep stacking up And I start acting up All you want keep back in sussels I can't trust We'll be pulling up in black trucks We bought them, bought them up Okay Even though I'm not about that Hollywood life, that joint is a banger. Shout outs to Insecure. They always have a great Spotify playlist um, and, and soundtrack. But anyway, we getting back to the episode. So enjoy. What's up, y'all? It's your girl, Chanel. Welcome to another episode of Candid Talk with Chanel. Today is June 8th and it is about 3.48 in the morning. These are my usual hours <laughs> of operating, especially since being on quarantine. And um, yes, so <laughs> I have this thought that came into my mind, you know, after watching several different reality shows and just, you know, day-to-day -day life experiences. Why is it that when we as women, whether we're naturally born women or whether we identify as being a woman why is it that anytime we get into some kind of conflict or some kind of scuffle a lot of us the first go-to in defense is to say I'm a bad bee you know or like like why is it that we always go there and I understand that the term being a bad bitch doesn't necessarily just rely on your looks. But I feel like a lot of times within the context that it's used, it's more so to emphasize your outward appearance, right? Um, and I know for some who use that term, it means all around. So my outward appearance, I'm fine, I'm a bad B. You know, my the uh, how I'm doing in my career or the kind of job that I work or like, I'm just an all, all in all dope person, so I'm a bad B. But I just always wonder why is that like the go to, right? Um, in any conflict with another woman? <laughs> um, why can't we just have a conversation about whatever the conflict is? Even if emotions are rising a little high, even if voices are slightly raised, why is it that we just can't still? have a conversation about what the issue is at hand as opposed to like now having to be like because I'm a bad bee you know what I'm saying like I don't know I don't know why that kind of just got caught me just now um it was something I was watching but it's just like why is that always the go-to <laughs> why um I find that interesting very interesting <laughs> Maybe y'all can help me understand. Why is that like the automatic response? Even, you know, in watching Real Housewives of Atlanta or like that's just always like the go-to. Whether you're referring to how you look, you're referring to the money that you have, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, I don't know. I don't know that I see women outside of uh, the black community kind of doing that or using that as like a a form of response or attack or I don't know I guess that goes hand in hand with a question I asked 
several episodes ago, which was why is it that when we're in conflict with one another as women, we automatically go to go for the jugular and want to attack how you look or tear down how you look, you know, like, why is that always maybe, oh, maybe I just answered my own question. Maybe because when in conflict with women, it's easy to, you're expecting or that, that person that you're in conflict with is always coming for how you look. So it's easy to be very guarded and make sure that you're putting it out there that you a bad bitch. I don't know. <laughs> but to me, <laughs> like we got to stop tearing each other's looks down and we got to stop leading with our looks as well. You know, like women, there's so many other things about us that makes us who we are and that makes us beautiful in spirit. Like we don't have to always rely on our looks to be, you know what I'm saying? Like that thing, that competitive thing that push that pushes us over or gives us that extra edge against that next woman. Like why? Is that always what it is, you know? There's so many things I feel about myself that makes me beautiful that has nothing to do with my outward appearance. You know, it's my personality, it's my heart, my character, my loyalty, like my spirit. Like there's so many other things that makes me a beautiful person, a beautiful being that has nothing to do with how I physically look. Like we all rely, why do we rely on looks so much? That looks fade, folks. As we get older, our looks fade. Some of us age like a fine wine. And, you know, black women are known to age like fine wine. But at some point, we all start to age. Mother Nature takes its course, right? And at that point, we start to get the wrinkles. We start to get the, the permanent bags under our eyes. We start to get the hanging chins. You know, um, we start to get the saggy boobies. We start to have all these age spots on our skin. Like it starts to happen. Our hair starts turning gray, even though I've already been graying for years. Like how long are we gonna rely on our looks for everything out here? You know? Um, so yeah, another thing, I was watching Joe Button's podcast. As y'all know, I am a Joe Button fan, even though he could say some dumb shit <laughs> that I don't always agree with and he could be a bit misogynistic um which is why sometimes I wish I knew him so I could tell him about himself <laughs> um but um I do appreciate his candidness and I do appreciate the fact that he just puts it out there love him hate him it is what it is and so I was tuning into the podcast and he Rory Mall and Parks were talking about um, I guess like when dating women, Joe's point was that he wants it to get to the point where when he's on a date with a woman, even if it's early on and him getting to know someone where he wants them, he wants to ask how much they make. Now, of course, Rory and Ma were like, no, you can't do that. That's tacky and time. You can ask a woman how much she makes, but definitely not on a first date. And Joe's like, why not? Because they're asking they're they're essentially doing that to me on the first date. He was like, what woman doesn't ask a man what he does for a living? And so Rory and Maul are like, but that's different. That's a, that's an okay question to ask on the first date. You know, they just want to know what you do for a living. And Joe was like, they want to know what you do for a living because that's how they're estimating or guesstimating what your salary is, what you make, the kind of money you have. They're looking at your watch. They're looking at your shoes. They're looking at how you dress. Like, it's the same thing. And I have to be honest. I kind of agree with Joe. Like, yes, it may sound way more crass and inappropriate to ask on a first date someone, how much money do you make? Especially a woman. But at the end of the day, when we ask, speaking from a woman, <laughs> when we ask men, what do they make? I mean, what do they do for a living? we're all ranking it in terms of pay. So if I'm dealing with a dude or I'm on a date with a guy and he tells me that he is an accountant, then automatically in my mind, I'm gauging, okay, A, it's great that he has a job 
And B, oh, he makes money. If, if you're on a date with a guy, you ask him what he does for a living, and he tells you that he manages, I don't know, uh, the Gap, one of the, the Gap stores, you're automatically saying, okay, then his range of income is probably from this amount to that amount. You know what I'm saying? Like, we all do it. We all do it. So I agree with Joe in that it's this, it's, it's the question asked differently, but the intention is the same in essence. Not saying that you can't genuinely want to know what a person does for a living for like conversation and whatnot, but immediately after that, once you find out what they're doing, let's keep it real, ladies, we are then trying to guesstimate and somewhat calculate what their income potentially is and men do it too i think i've said this before one one thing that i definitely hear my husband and his friends talk about all the time you know like if my husband's friends the single ones they're like yeah he just told me this the other day one of his boys is dating this woman and he was like yeah she's a dentist like that that always comes out like they're always talking about whoever they're dating and what this woman does for a living and for them at that point, they're like, yo, she got a good job. She makes bread, meaning she makes money. You know, like they talk about that stuff the same way women talk about that stuff. <laughs> so don't get it twisted, you know. Um, <laughs> so I definitely felt Joe on that. What are y'all thoughts? Do you think that it's crass to have that conversation early on or on the first date to say, hey, you know, what do you do for a living? Okay, how much do you make? <laughs> I think asking what do you do for a living is sufficient enough and you'll be able to get a, a range of potentially the ballpark of what that person makes. Um, I think it would be a bit, it'd be a bit like, whoa, slow it down, homie. Pump your brakes. Why do you need to know how much I make to the cent? You know what I'm saying? Um, but at the end of the day, we all can't front and make it seem like money isn't a factor um, women, we always want to know that there is some kind of security that we will have. This doesn't mean that we're not wanting to work. You know, there are some women that fall into that category. They have more of the traditional values or how they view partnership is more in a traditional way. And they would prefer to stay home and keep the house and do things of that nature. If you have kids, take care of the kids while the man goes out and gets that bacon. There are other types of women who want to work as well. They want to have their own, but they want to know that their man can take care of them if necessary, and I'm that kind of woman, right? I've always worked, always had my own job, and always had my own income. My husband never had to worry about full-time taking care of me and paying my personal bills and yada, 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 right? Um... For the most part, I still though like to know that if something were to happen where I can't work, that my husband can take care of things, right? Because I still, it's funny, I'm traditional, but I'm not. I'm like a hybrid of the two. Because a part of me still feels like, as a man, you should want to take care of your family. Like if you're, if you're, if you ask a woman to be your wife, I believe that you should be ready and you should be okay with, dare I say, you should want, you should take pride in taking care of your family. Um, if you happen to be married to a woman who works and she makes good money, or let's say she works and she makes mediocre money, but she brings in income as well, fine. But at the end of the day, I prefer, and this is the traditional side of me, I prefer for my for my man or my husband to not have to look to me to pay everything and just expect it or or look to me for my quote unquote half, right? I prefer it to be where I'm coming to the table saying, "Hey, this is what I'm able to contribute. This is what I'm going to be paying. Do you agree to be paying these things?" and we go from there. But with the understanding that if anything were to happen where I'm out of work, or maybe we're having a baby like we are, and maybe I need to be home for the baby's first year of life or whatever we decide, that you are more than willing, okay, able, and happy to take care of your family. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> um, 
So for me, it's a hybrid. Yes, I work. I've worked the whole time I've been married for the most part and, you know, contribute to what I contribute towards. But in the event that it is no longer feasible for me to work, because like I said, maybe it's best for me to stay home with the baby for a year, or maybe for some reason I'm just out of work, or um, God forbid if I felt ill or something like that, I don't want my husband to feel like it is a burden for him to now take care of his family. I want him to be able to snap into the, this is my wife, this is my kid, like I'm going to do anything and whatever I have to do to make sure my family is good and not do it begrudgingly, not do it and have animosity about it, you know what I'm saying, um, to, to wholeheartedly do it and be glad to do it and actually be proud of, of the ability to do it. And I feel like these days, which is why I tell a lot of my single friends, Make sure you have these conversations as you're getting to know someone in dating. Let's have that real conversation about money and career and expectations because <laughs> I feel like dudes these days, men these days, they are looking for you to come up with your half. They are looking for you to... um be able to contribute. They are looking for you to have a good job where you're making good money. Like gone are the days where they're cool with just being the quote unquote man and the provider. And like a lot of men these days, even though I do believe they all are wired to have a natural knack to provide, um, a lot of them still want you to come to the table with, with almost comparable finances, if I'm being honest. And you know, please have these conversations before you really start getting heavy into dating because you don't want this to be a source of discord early on, you know, in the relationship or the marriage. Um, but make sure you're on the same page with those things. You know, I had to make sure that I had that conversation with my now husband, you know, like, listen, I come from a background where my dad, my mom stayed home and took care of us until she started doing her entrepreneurial stuff. And my dad worked the traditional job and paid the bills. And that was what they came up with. And that's what worked for them. So I come from a background where I saw and witnessed, even if my dad had to work three jobs, he would do whatever he had to do to take care of his family. And he did it happily, willingly, and he wore it as his badge of honor to do it, so to speak, right? That's what I come from. So I don't come from a situation where the man or the husband is looking to his wife to come up with her half. I come from a situation where the man, the husband, is wholeheartedly well-bodied and able to take care of his family because that's what you do as a man. And my husband came from a background where his dad worked and his mother worked. And so yes, he comes from a background where we're both looking to each other to come up with whatever halves of whatever bills we're paying. So that had to be a conversation that my husband and I had early on where I'm like, listen, I am an independent woman. You know, I work, you know, I was taking care of myself before I was with you <laughs> or before I was married to you. And yes, all that is important to me, but I need you to understand that in the event that I can no longer work or in the event that our child comes first, future children that we have, they come first. For whatever reasons, I need you to be okay with being a man and taking care of your family. You know what I'm saying? Um, and not that I saw myself being a stay-at-home mom or anything like that, you know, um, but just to have that conversation hypothetically anyway, you know, um, like, I need you to be able to hold things down and to be okay with that. You know what I'm saying? The same way you would need me to make sure I'm playing my role as wife and mom and this, that, and the third, I need you to make sure that you're playing your role as husband and dad. And sometimes part of that role is you gotta, you, you are the income. Sometimes it happens that way. So my encouragement to everyone is just to have that conversation, you know, early on um, and just tying it back into the whole Joe Button podcast thing, I agree that that is a conversation that should be had early on. It doesn't mean that you need to ask, well, how much do you make a year? But we need to talk career. We need to talk what you do for a living, what I do for a living. 
and as we get to know each other and things progress, then that conversation needs to uh, get to the point where we're discussing hypothetically, you know, if I didn't work, would that be an issue? You know what I'm saying? Um, and not to even make it one-sided because there's sometimes where men are out of work and it's the woman who's the one bringing in the, the income and having to take care of things. So if, if something happened where one of us couldn't work, what are our thoughts around this? What are our expectations? I think it's very important to have those kinds of conversations. <laughs> um, so those are two things that kind of stuck out to me these last couple of days. I'm pretty sure y'all watch Insecure, um, episode nine, low-key trying, a very good episode. I like how we segued at episode eight. We were on a high, you know, or those that are actually okay with the, or team Issa and Lawrence being back together, but we were on a high with the whole love story, the vibe. Like, I don't care what anybody says. Even if you weren't team Issa and Lawrence, it was just so romantic. And the way that episode was written and shot, it was just so endearing to see them in that way together. Whether you were a fan of it or not, you got to admit that it was just like, yo, like, this is what's up, you know? Um, So then we go from being on that love high to coming down to reality, in essence, with this episode, um, which Lawrence and Issa kind of pick up with their moment and they're, they're still having fun and reacquainting themselves with one another's bodies and just with one, just with being in one another's company, still having like the asking the real questions, being more transparent than they've ever been. And then, you know, you also have pretty much the big thing of Issa and Molly and their meetup. And then, you know, we have finally Nathan gives his explanation to Issa why he ghosted her. And, you know, all of these moving parts playing in this one episode. Um, My takeaway, (sighs) once again, (laughs) I feel like the theme of this season of Insecure is all about communication and um, transparency in in relationships, which includes friendships. And um, it's unfortunate that for some reason, Issa can have this candid, transparent conversation with Lawrence. She can have this conversation with Nathan. You know what I'm saying? But for some reason, she has a hard time being uh, transparent with Molly. And I think it's out of fear that Molly is just going to bite her head off and, and just react in the Molly way. Um, and then we see what Molly was gl- I was glad to see her actually follow up and be in therapy with her therapist, having a session with her therapist. And what Molly, I feel like her issue is she's not self-aware. She has a hard time seeing that you are not always the victim in these situations. You play your part in situations like, and I'm glad that her therapist was able to kind of connect the dots for her. Like you, when people disappoint you or hurt you, you put up this huge wall and then you like, you write them off. Right. And I can identify with that to some degree because it's very easy. And I've said this before for me to cut people out of my life. Right. Maybe not as quickly as Molly does, <laughs> but it's easy for me to distance myself from you if I'm feeling some kind of way or if I'm feeling hurt or if I'm feeling like you're being messy or I'm feeling like you're not being a good friend. It's very easy for me to distance myself. Will I just cut you off off the back? No. It takes more. It takes way longer for me to like really like eliminate you out of my life, right? So I get that part of Molly. However, Molly lacks the ability to be able to admit and see or take ownership of the part that she played and for her to admit that she doesn't handle situations in the best of ways, right? It's hard for her to see that she's selfish too in her relationship with Andrew. She's selfish. This man is like, listen, I know my brother played himself. He's trying to make it right. He invited us to a basketball game. Like, and she's just like, no, you know, like, the girl, give it. <laughs> like, at some point, you have to be able, even if 
you were the one that were that was wronged at some point you got to be able to be willing to have that conversation and it can't be that the other person has to initiate it and grovel and beg for your forgiveness like you have to be willing to have that conversation and also own the fact that it's like I always say it takes two people for a conflict to happen someone more than likely tends to be more in the wrong than the other but there's always something that you can own that that went down you know so she can own the fact that she said fuck you to um his brother in the heat of the moment that was disrespectful like you didn't have to be disrespectful to get your point across right you know like there there's certain things you can own in a situation you know um same issue with a uh, her dad. Now her dad didn't wrong her. Whatever happened that went down with her dad and her mom with him cheating years ago, that had nothing to do with Molly. <laughs> like that's between your parents. That's their marital business. And yes, the father's actions could have definitely hurt the family and separated them. But she took it on as if this happened to her. Let her disappointment in her dad make her build up this wall. And it took forever and a day for her to be able to forgive her dad especially if your mom forgave him like she's the one that got cheated on not you your dad never was like removed from your life because of this bad decision I could understand if your dad cheated on your mom they they ended up separating and now it started to affect you in the household you clearly didn't even know that your dad cheated on your mom so that meant that there were no negative effects that you felt based off of whatever they were going through in their marriage years ago you know what I'm saying so it's like you're taking on a fight that's not even yours furthermore something that your parents already resolved in their marriage years ago and so it's like this pattern that she has she gets upset with Issa I'm still trying to figure out for the life of me what is the issue I feel like the true issue that she has with Issa is the fact that as Issa started to get her life together figure out what she wanted for herself start making better decisions I feel like May I feel like she probably wasn't able to be there in the same way for Molly that Molly got accustomed to. And I feel like just the roles changed. I feel like I mentioned this before. The roles began to change in the friendship. Issa was no longer fitting that role that Molly nicely put her in where you're needy, you're messy, you you know, you're always uh, you need to be more you're reliant on me as a friend and I help you clean up your mess. Like Issa was actually cleaning up her own mess in her life and, and she was getting to her place of happy. And I think because Issa was successfully finding her happy and Molly was having a hard time finding her happy and was more so finding misery, I think that that's what caused them to clash. You know, um, it was a problem that Issa was... Be, uh, developing a friendship with Condola. It was a problem that Issa wasn't as readily available because she's working hard on this block party. Like if you're really her best friend and you have her best interest at heart, you would understand that my friend is busy right now. You know what I'm saying? And it's not like I'm rolling up my sleeves to help her with this endeavor, which is like a huge moment for her. So I need to make sure that, you know, I have to understand that she's not going to be as available and accessible to me because she has a lot of work that she's doing. Like, and if you miss her that much, be like, friend, I miss you. Can we meet up? Is there any way I can help you? Like, you know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> so for me, you know, I feel like Molly's frustration it's it's not even really all about what Issa did to her. I think it's more so about the fact that Issa was finding her place, her way to her happy place, and Molly was struggling in that department, and more so finding her, finding herself in a place of misery. And at that point, when you're miserable, it's hard for you to be happy for your friend. When you're miserable and your friend is happy, it's hard for you guys to feel like you're in sync. And I think Issa felt those vibes, which probably made it easier for her to kind of sometimes low-key curve Molly and not really come through because Molly's misery would kind of be projected onto Issa. And it's always during the worst times. It's always during the times where you should be happy, supportive, and congratulatory to your best friend. 
And that's the tricky part with friendships and best friendships, close friendships, because it's so easy if like, like I said, I have, I have experience with a girlfriend or two where they're a good friend when their life is going well, when their life is in shambles, they're nowhere to be found. They're not good friends. Like they're not even able or capable of being able to still be there even though their life is in shambles, right? And I've learned early on, Chanel, just because you have the ability where you can be going through something serious, you can be going through a hardship or a trial in your life, you just because you have the ability to still be there for people doesn't mean that people have that ability to still be there for you. So I've gone through that where, you know, a friend is in a state of misery. Life is like really tough. It's not going well for them. And so they're not going to be there. This happened to me even while I was planning a wedding with with people who were in my wedding. Life wasn't where they wanted their lives to be. And some of them struggled with genuinely being supportive, being there, and truly being happy for me, right? Here it is from the out, I guess it's like, oh, she's getting, she's having a wedding, like a legit wedding. You know, she's like, She doesn't go through these things with her dude, you know, like all kinds of things could have been going through their minds. You know what I'm saying? Where they were emotionally and physically unavailable, even though they were in my wedding. You know what I'm saying? Um, So I've experienced that on more than one occasion. And um, so for me, it's just like certain people, you know, to anticipate that was sad to say, you know, until you decide whether or not you want them in your lives or not in that way. And then I have other friends who were going through the fire, going through some craziness, and they're still able to show up and be there and be happy for me during my happy times, right? I had other friends who would go, they would fall off the face of the earth when they were going through it. You know what I'm saying? And you wouldn't hear from them, or I wouldn't hear from them unless I checked in with them, you know? So I I haven't been through it all. I get it. You know, friendships are really, really intricate. (laughs) They really, really are. And like I said, not everybody has that ability for us to still maintain the friendship, even though we are almost like going through two totally different versions of life, right? You know? Um, And so that's why (laughs) since being pregnant, for me, my whole thing is keep the same energy, right? Let's, Let's keep it how we always have it. Um, And some people may be like, well, what do you mean by that? My thing is this, don't overly check on me or um, overly, quote unquote, want to be a good friend to me if that's not how it is on a normal day. Like, I don't feel like my pregnancy should be a reason why now it's more of a regular thing to keep up with me and to see how I'm doing. And I know that that may sound crazy and insensitive, um, but this is maybe just how my mind works, which is different than others. I'm not somebody who, when I'm going through major life changes that are amazing, I'm not someone who is looking to be doted on with so much attention, right? I'm someone who, to me, life is life right? I'm pregnant. I'm happy. Praise God. So far, baby, baby and I are, are healthy. We're well. I have like a month and a half left of this pregnancy to go. Like it's, I've been pregnant during this pandemic on quarantine. It's been a really interesting experience, <laughs> but for me, this, this doesn't mean that now I'm expecting all this attention or I'm expecting you know, um, for people to rally around me. And don't get me wrong, I do believe that the people in my life have the best of intentions, the purest of intentions, right? But I always look at the bigger picture. Y'all know me by now. So the bigger picture for me is, like, we should be good friends to each other regardless (laughs) of whether I'm pregnant, I'm getting married, or anything like that, right? we should be good friends to each other when life is mundane and ain't shit going on. Exciting, right? The energy should remain the same. That's what I'm saying. That's how I look at things. The end, the, the friendship energy should remain the same. So that the amount of care, the amount of following up and checking in and due diligence that I have with you 
on a normal day should be the same when you're pregnant, right? I don't think it should be where we don't really talk like that on a normal day, but then when you're pregnant, we talk a lot. Like I don't, for me, I, I don't really keep the same energy. <laughs> and that's just me. Other people are different. I know people who they wanted to be the center of attention when they were engaged, when they were having a baby. They wanted everybody to dote on them. They wanted, like for me, I don't even... My girlfriends were like, hey, you know, we're going to throw you a shower. I was like, no, my husband and I will throw our own shower because my husband and I, you know, the kind of celebration that we want to have, you know, is going to be a pricey one. And we don't want to put that burden on anyone else. And we know how we want our party or celebration to be. And so we're going to throw it ourselves, right? This is, of course, prior to the pandemic. And we th- we agreed we're going to have a celebration, even if babies are already here. We're going to have a celebration with all of our loved ones, right? When quarantine is over, we're going to do it right. And um, so I'm that person. Like, I don't, I don't even want my friends throwing me a shower, right? I want, that's something that I want my husband and I to do, right? Because we're in this journey together. It's he and I that's going to be raising this baby boy. It's us, right? And um, we know what we like. We know the caliber of the kind of celebration we want to have, right? Because let's keep it real, friends are great and amazing, but everybody's coin ain't ain't able to give give you what you want. <laughs> and for me, having a baby is such a monumental moment. Um, and this may be the only baby that my husband and I have. And so we want this celebration to be epic. And I wouldn't expect for my loved ones to, you know, to be able to put up the kind of coin that we know this celebration is going to call for or entail, right? So, and this is something I want to do with my husband. You know, I'm very unorthodox yet traditional. It's a hard contrast that I have. Um, and even when it comes to to my child having godparents, I told my husband, I don't even want to have God. I don't even want him to have godparents. Like I didn't have godparents growing up and I'm just fine. I have a nice network around me. I know who's there for me. I don't need godparents, right? And I bet that'll be a surprise to a lot of my friends, especially the ones who ask me to be godparents of their children. But I just live my life differently. I look at things differently. And I personally don't want to feel like I'm obligated to now have to decide who I would want to take care of my kid if something happened to my husband and I. I feel like at the end of the day, I don't have to enlist people as godparents to be able to have that conversation with whoever I feel would be able to raise him in the way that we would want him to be raised. God forbid something happened to us. And I don't like what godparents, what the expectations almost seem to um, be, so to speak. Um, I want, he will have a supportive network of people in his life that are composed of family and friends of his parents that people he knows who will love him. I don't think that he needs to have anybody specifically pinpointed. Um, and so, you know, I'm very unorthodox (laughs) in that way. And, um, and so, yeah, you know, I feel like I don't want him to have godparents. I had already made the decision, my husband and I, that we were going, we made the decision that we were going to plan our own baby shower celebration. Like, you know, I'm not doing, I don't do things how everybody does things. And that's one thing everybody should know about me, especially if you're in my life, you're in my world by now. I am not someone who does things the way the masses do things, right? And so, you know... But yeah, you know, friendships could get could get real crazy. It, you know, like I said, just me sharing my own pregnancy journey. Um, and I've said this before, I needed to unplug and I needed my time to kind of be physically, well, I was forced to be physically separated from people. But I needed my time to even emotionally be kind of separated from a lot of my girlfriends, if I'm being honest. I just needed time to myself to be able to process this life change that's happening without all of this noise around me. And... um And, you know, for me, I'm thankful that, you know, everybody has been loving and checking in on me. And like I said, the intentions are pure. um, But I, for me, I just couldn't help but feel at times. But let's keep the same energy, folks. Like, if we talked all the time, cool, same energy, right? 
But if we didn't talk all the time like that, like, I don't want you to feel like you have to keep checking in with me because I'm pregnant. You know what I'm saying? Um, like, we can keep the same energy. <laughs> you know, um, I don't feel like monumental moments that happen in our lives means that we're now obligated to, like, be there more for a person. I feel like if, if we're the best friends that we can be all year long, all the time, then it really shouldn't matter the, the consistency will still be there regardless of what highs or lows we're all going through in life. You know what I'm saying? Um, but it can't be where when you're going through a low, you fall off the face of the earth. Nobody hears you, hears from you or sees you. But then when you're back and life is good for you again, then it's like we all hear and see from you. We all hear from you and see you. You know what I'm saying? Like to me, let's, let's try to keep the energy the same. That's all I'm saying. Let's keep it consistent across the board within the friendship um and uh you know like I said I think that's a real real cool ability to have regardless of what you're going through to be able to really be there for the people you call friends in your life you know um there were times when my husband and I were going through hardships in our marriage that didn't stop me from being there for my friends whether that was being there to talk to you and to give you advice that you needed whether that was still hanging out with you and celebrating your celebratory moments. Like just because I'm going through whatever I'm going through with my husband or if I was going through something at work or if I'm going through whatever, you know, it didn't, that, that's not going to stop me from being there. I think me being pregnant, I've kind of pulled away from people and they probably sense that too, which could be why I got a lot more check-ins than usual. Um, but I kind of took a back seat and pulled away, um, because I'm the one that's always that checks in a lot and that's always like I said driving up the wazoo being going here going here meeting up with this person being here for that running this with this person doing this doing that so I needed my break I needed my space just a little bit um and you know to recharge and like I said for me to process this new beginning with no with very limited noise around me right um And so this is probably the first time in my life that I've kind of like pulled away, you know, um, where some of my friends may call me during the day. I'm pregnant. I'm napping. I'm taking naps around the clock. Like, you know what I'm saying? If you call me and you don't like leave me a message, like if you call me, I don't answer, text me. You know what I'm saying? Um, Texting me is actually the better way. Even if you want to have a phone conversation, text me and be like, hey, when are you available to speak at this time? Cause I'm sleeping, I'm resting, I'm doing other things. <laughs> yes, we're I'm I'm we're in a quarantine. There's not much. Sometimes I'm at doctor's appointments and I can't talk. You know, um, I could be grocery shopping. I could be doing different things, right? So at the end of the day, you know, um, I'm probably not the I'm really not a phone person as far as let's talk on the phone. I'm more of like a texter, and then we'll be able to have the real conversation face to face or. You know what I'm saying? Or some of my girlfriends will be like, hey, Chanel, we want to get on a video chat. You know, um, give me the heads up. That's all I'm saying. Just give me the heads up. <laughs> um, but they probably sense for me that I, I'm more like kind of distant in a way. And it's not even that I have beef or anything like that. It's just sometimes you just need to pull away. Um, but I'll still make it a point to check in with people, you know, especially throughout the quarantine and this pandemic, you know, um, things of that nature. But like, I'm just not as accessible as I used to be prior to pandemic and quarantine and all of that. But sometimes I I do believe we need to have some time to ourselves. And I've used this quarantine as a moment to really take time out for myself and not feel pressed to be in the mix and to be a part of every group chat, video chat, to you know, need to be on the phone with people all the time or just in communication with people all the time. Like sometimes it's okay to have your own space. You know what I'm saying? And I think it was time for me to be selfish with my time, for me to be choosy with when I talk to people, for me to, you know, like I said, really be able to prepare for this big life change. And, um, you know, I, like I said, I, this, as, as under unfortunate circumstances, but I really didn't feel the need to like just be in the mix, even virtually or just always on the phone with people. Like, no, <laughs> I'm 
I needed this time to myself and I believe God truly knew it. Um, I just been running and running and going and going and moving and moving and doing the most for, for years. I needed the time to just have some downtime and to take a break for myself and um, to be able to clear my mind and to to really try to, to prepare as much as I can for this blessing that's coming into our worlds and, you know, spend some time with God, a different kind of time spent with him. Um, and I just needed, I needed the time. <laughs> so this is probably the only time my friends are like, wow, Chanel really seems like distant and not as, you know, um, maybe the way she normally would be. And like I said, it could also be my hormones too. You know, me just not really wanting to be around a lot of people like that. Um, but, you know, I'm trying to, you know, get myself back reacclimated. Um, and the truth of the matter is even when I, when I do have the baby, like at the end of the day, once again, my time is going to, my priorities are going to change and my time is going to be even more limited in a different way. And so... Maybe it is kind of nice, nice, a nice transition, you know, um, for everybody around me. Not that I will fall off the face of the earth. They'll still hear from me and see me, but just it'll be different. You know, that's just what it is. It'll be different. And I think a big part of friendship is being able to adapt to the differences that happen within life, you know, um, and to respect them. You know, my friends get married. I understand that is a big difference. Your time and your priorities shift and they change. When they have children, same thing. Big change, big shift in priorities. Things will be different. The dynamics will somewhat be different, you know. Um, and uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I try to remember, Chanel, you're probably the friend everybody thought wouldn't have a baby. And so this is, my brother reminded me the other day, like, the fact that I am having a baby, this is a big thing. And I'm like, why is this a big thing? I never said I, I didn't want children. I just said that I, I wasn't rushing to have them. And that when it was supposed to happen, it was meant to happen. You know, I don't understand how people misconstrue that for, oh, she ain't going to have kids. I never said I wasn't going to have kids. You know, I said that I wasn't rushing to have them. Once again, I'm unorthodox. I don't do things the way many people do them, right? Um, so I'm like... I don't know why this came as a big shock. I think this even came as a shock to my parents and I'm still trying to understand why, <laughs> you know? Um, I never said I didn't want to have kids. That was never anything that was said, you know? Um, I said that, yes, I would like to have children, but if it didn't happen, I would be okay. You know, it is what it is. Like, you know, I was never one of those women that put all my eggs in one basket where children were, uh, there's some women where it's like they're dying passion to have kids. And I respect that. For me, I said, I would love to have a child or two. If it's meant to be, it'll be, you know, but I'm not going to, because I'm married, you know, rush and have children when I knew that it wasn't going to be the best, under the best circumstances or the best timing. You know what I'm saying? My husband and I, and I've said this probably many times before, I, he didn't, he probably didn't agree with it, but I strongly felt that we needed to have a certain foundation within our marriage built before we should bring another human being into this situation. And a lot of, I feel like a lot of times, <laughs> what I say, what I say, when, it's, when it comes to my life, right? Um, when people are constantly asking me the question, when am I going to have kids? Why don't I have kids? And I say my, my reasoning and logic, it's not understood in the moment, right? Um, or it's almost like, yeah, that sounds nice, but you're married, have kids, right? Um, but I feel like when people see it play out, then they're like, oh, it makes sense, right? So, sometimes I feel like it almost has people in my world looking at the choices they made in their life almost, just off of certain things that have been said to me lately, you know? Um, but, and this is what I'll, let me do a time check. Okay, I still got some time. This is what I'll say and segueing into this last point. I always say, be careful who you take advice from, folks. Sometimes I know people who give some sound, intelligent, and great advice, right? However, when I am accepting advice from someone, 
I am not just hearing what you're saying. I'm also looking at your life, right? And if you are giving me advice about things in my life, but your life, it doesn't seem to, what, how, how do I say this? Your life decisions don't even seem like the best of decisions that you made for yourself. I, I hear your advice, I weigh it, and then I go from there. Because yes, there is that side where people, we, where we as people learn from our mistakes. So we're able to say, hey, I didn't make the right, I didn't, really didn't make a lot of good decisions when it came to these areas of my life. So the advice I'm giving you is to not do what I'm doing. But I've even seen lately where some will give advice to people to almost make the same decisions they made. And I'm like, why would you even advise this person to go down a path that you're not even happy that you went down? You know what I'm saying? So it's almost like, I feel like when my loved ones, even though some of them might have challenged or asked or maybe didn't understand my logic in how I lead my life. I think when they step back now that I am pregnant and they step back and look at my life, they're able to see that I had good decision making, right? So sometimes I used to wonder why am I being questioned about certain things when I hate to come off like this, but when the decisions I made for my life played out in a more successful way than the decisions you made for your life, right? So, and, 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 and maybe that could be analyzed in different ways. That could be a situation of deep down inside, misery loves company, you know what I'm saying? Or that could be just a thing of, we just really think differently and that's okay, you know what I'm saying? But I always say to people, if you're gonna take advice from someone, look, don't just look at the person's intelligence or their um, their ability to give decent advice, I would also say, look at how this person leads their life, right? Um, because my thing is we should be able to give good advice because we actually are an example of what we're saying in a positive way, right? We should be able to give wise advice because we made wise decisions in our lives. Yes, sometimes we make unwise decisions and we learn from those from those mistakes. That's all of us. That's me. I'm included in that. But I feel like it shouldn't be where the unwise decisions um, over, are, are, are plenty in number and the wise decisions are like a little bit in number, if that makes sense. It should be where... The wise decisions we made in our lives outweigh the, the, the unwise and negative decisions, the bad choices. And, um, and so for me, I'm hoping even, and I'm not perfect, don't have it all together, make mistakes, I always say that. But I do make it a point to make good decisions for my life. And I do believe that when you look at my life, for the most part, you see that it's been a pattern of positive and wise decisions that were made. And I just want to encourage anyone out there, if you're like me, where you kind of live or you toe that fine line of tradition and non-tradition or being unorthodox in certain ways and not going off of what the masses do and following what everybody else does, but you're able to see a good path for your life and make and weigh and, 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 and make good decisions for yourself because you do have good self-awareness and self-worth and self-esteem and you're able to be a balanced thinker emotionally like don't let people steer you away from your path or your decision making um because it's different from theirs <laughs> like don't allow people to do that even if everybody looks at you like you're crazy people looked at me like I was crazy for years my own friends loved ones I think deep down inside were like is this chick ever gonna have a baby I never understood why my ovaries were that much of a a thing for other people but I got this for years and years and years once I got married and um I believe now <laughs> When you look back, when you when when they look at certain things, it's like, oh, it makes sense, right? 
I didn't want to have a baby when my husband was a probationary fireman. He was never home. If he, he was never home, never home for holidays. Like it was crazy. When you're a probationary firefighter, it's almost like, I hate to say it like this, but it's almost like you're, I won't use that term, but it's almost like, like you have no say so. Your schedule, everything about your life is dictated to you as it pertains, like, like your time is not your own. Imagine me having a baby a year into all of that. Like, no, my husband is a hands-on dad and you know, him never being home, that wouldn't have been a good thing. So I knew I didn't want to do that. Two, I knew there were certain things within myself as a woman I needed to develop more in and certain goals I needed to accomplish for myself, right? I didn't want to have animosity and look at my child with like that feeling of I had a life before you came around, right? Or constantly being frustrated with my kid or constantly project projecting my unhappiness onto them, right? I knew I didn't want to do that. We needed to move out of our one bedroom apartment. I wasn't trying to bring a child into a confined space. Like there were so many different things that needed to happen before a baby could even be on the table of discussion. And um yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> Um, so my husband and I, you know, we had, we were, uh, married six years, right? It'll be six years. Um, and then we, before, you know, then we have a baby. So that meant that my husband had enough time on the job to now, to no longer be a probationary fireman, to actually have many other people underneath him, so to speak, um, where he is not, his, he's not as indebted when it comes to his time, so to speak, um, we moved into a house from a one bedroom apartment to an actual house, a three bedroom, three and uh, three bedroom, two and a half bathroom house, right? That needed to happen. We were able to do that after our first year of marriage. We were able to travel and do all the things that a married couple should be able to do with before you have kids. We were able to do that for six years, right? When I think about the many trips my husband and I took over the years, amazing trips. We were able to go to Jamaica like four or five, four times, four or five times. We were able to go to the Bahamas. We were able to go to Barbados. We were able to go to Dominican Republic. We were able, I feel like I'm missing. We were able to do things. We were able to travel. We were able to have that time. We were able to go through rough patches. We were able to fix some cracks in the foundation of our marriage. Like there were important things that needed to happen before another human being was brought in the midst. And I say all that to say, now, six years later after being married, having a baby makes sense. And it was an easy process for us, thank God. And I, can, I pray that it continues to be until he is here, right? Um, my husband and I were able to get to know each other in a different way that was necessary, right? So now we can, we're not only joining forces as a, like, husband and wife, but we're joining forces as parents. You know what I'm saying? Um, so there's a lot of things. It's not to say that the road ahead is not going to be challenging, because I'm pretty sure it will be, right? And I'm going to have to readjust and figure out how to not only be a good wife, but be a good mom, and how to balance those two, right? I have my work cut out for me. So... You know, for me, it made a lot of sense why my viewpoint was what it was. And I don't know that my husband would even admit it, but I think if he really, really thinks about it, even he understands that now is actually the, now was the right time for us to have a kid. Now was the time for us to have a kid. Not last year, not three years ago, not four years ago, now. And so please folks, don't let other people, <laughs> pressure you, sway you, give you advice telling you you what you should do, especially if their life is not even as balanced or ideal, you know what I'm saying? Um like nah. Believe God, believe in his timing 
and you know continue to prepare yourself for such big life moments as best as you can you know what I'm saying um and because I know myself and I've always known myself pretty well that's how I was able to not fall into the trap like a lot of married women you get married and then before you know it you having all these babies like no <laughs> you know what I'm saying and then now now you're not only going through marital problems but y'all are now having to raise these kids and it's just a whole thing like nah I'm good and I think that you know always know that your life speaks for itself whether people want to admit it or not your life truly speaks for itself the way that you live your life is evident it's evident in your choices it's evident in what how we decide to maneuver through this crazy journey that we're all on and so be mindful of that. I'm not saying to be judgy, judgy and all of that. But at the same time, let's keep it real. Like, our lives speak for themselves. So um, I'll stop there. Continue to be safe out there. Rock out with your girl. I'm on Spotify, Anchor, Apple, and Google Podcasts. And until next time. <laughs>